Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hail and well met, Traveler. Welcome to the Tavern. Did you know this is the place where more than half of the greatest adventures in history have begun? But before those adventurers took their first steps, they watched and calculated who would join their party. Why look over there? There's a mighty barbarian from the Frozen Lands. Strong, mighty, full of honor and wisdom. I happen to know that one. They go by Matt Rossi. And look over there to the right. That woman working away on her mechanical dog. She's cunning, witty, and I've seen her bounce more than her fair share of 'er ne'er-do-wells out of here before I can even blink. I happen to know that she goes by the name Liz Harper. And me? Oh, my name's Joe Perez. And I'll be your tavern keep. Welcome to Tavern Watch. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of Tavern Watch. I'm one of your hosts, which we have several, uh, Joe Perez, and with me, as always, is Liz Harper and Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, guys? Hello, hello. Hey, everybody. And we have with us a very special guest today. Uh, We have Greg Tito from Wizards of the Coast. Hello, Greg. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to chat with some of the people I've been reading pieces of for almost two decades now. Is that crazy? Oh, God, we're old. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy to think about it. Uh, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. I just started last week. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Eternally young. All right. Well, I guess so folks that are listening to us, they kind of know who we are. So I would think we should get started with kind of talking about who you are. So, Greg, why don't you let the people at home know who you are and what you do? Sure. I am currently, uh, as you said, at Wizards of the Coast. I am the communications manager for Dungeons and Dragons. So that means basically uh, getting the word out about uh, the game in general, but also each of its fun source books that are are on its way. And we got three coming this fall. So it's, I've been busy trying to sing their praises uh, about how you can integrate it into your D&D game. Um, before that, I was a game journalist. Uh, I worked with many of you uh, at many sites that shall not be named from companies <laughs> that we uh, that that defy description. I'll say that. Um, and uh, but I've been a long time, you know, D and D fan as well as a World of Warcraft and uh, Blizzard fan. And so that's why I'm really excited to talk to you guys. Is because I remember, you know, in the 2005 2006 era of reading all of your posts about the game that I was super invested in uh, back then. And I love that you're also getting into D&D and doing all types of, uh, uh, you know, live play content around there too. So 
I feel like we've got a lot to talk about. I think we do too. And this is something that uh, we've always been really passionate about. Matt's been doing this for a long time. I've been doing this for a very long time as far as like the tabletop aspect of it, everything goes and being, we've been dying to like try to get more tabletop content involved with the site for ages. So we're just really happy to do it. And very excited to have you here uh, because you kind of have the sort of the, I don't want to say the inside scoop, but you have a unique perspective <laughs> that we can't have. Right. So um, yeah. So you were saying that you go around and you you sort of sing the praises of the books. So what does that actually look like besides telling everybody these are great, you should buy it, which we do as well. Um, what does that look like when you, you go out and visit and, and do that? Well, it's, it's different now uh, than it was in the pre-pandemic <laughs> time, for sure. Um, but, it, you know, it's essentially it's, it's, it's developing relationships with press, people who are covering uh, Dungeons and Dragons and making sure, you know, a lot of it is just making sure they have access to the things they need to write their stories. Uh, I have a little bit of um, uh, a leg up on some other PR people because I worked in content creation for so long. So I'm just like, hey, they need images. Let's give them images so that they can put it at the top of their post. They don't have to go chasing around uh, you know, PR people like myself to try and get those. So <laughs> I'm, I'm always about making it as easy as possible uh, for journalists as well as you know, trying to come up with angles for stories that may not be the on the top of their of their mind right and so around dungeons and dragons in particular i mean certainly you can delve into the different products and why you know the wild beyond the Witchlight is cool because it's a Feywild adventure and all the you know the key selling points around that um but i love talking about D more in general too and i think that is something that has been a big push over these last five or six years since fifth edition came out was really understanding that dungeons and dragons is a storytelling framework that can tap into some wonderful uh, creativity that you didn't know was locked inside you. Um, it, it, it develops, you know, uh, communication skills, leadership skills. Uh, the idea of, of uh, min-maxing can sometimes lead to logic and how those things can, can help out in, in, in your life. Um, you know, it's, it's wonderful for, for kids developing those communication skills or people who are on the spectrum and, and finding a safe place with Dungeons and Dragons to be able to work on uh, social cues and how to pick them up in a safe place. That also is tons of fun. I've talked to lots of educators uh, and teachers who say that Dungeons and Dragons is the reason why they are a teacher. You know, when they were a kid, they loved it and they, they wanted to pass on that knowledge. And now they're doing it in, in schools and seeing kids who didn't want to read or didn't want to engage with um, literature or content in any way, but they are pouring over the player's handbook and talking with each other about referencing different pages and how different feats or skills could work for their, their group. Um, and all of those things combine, uh, around what Dungeons and Dragons is all about. So I, I'm a big fan of just trying to, to, to sing the praises of the game in general. And then, you know, uh, because I'm a fan of, of all of the weird settings and adventures that are going out, uh, talking about why those are super cool for, for, for press out there. And then I also have my own podcast. I, I co-host with my colleague, Shelly Matsunoble on Dragon Talk. And that vehicle is really just about elevating different parts of the community. Um, we were, we were doing it for a few years and then I realized that, you know what, like we have over indexed on talking to, I'll be very frank, white men, just because mm -hmm. those were the people that we were, that we, you know, that was, that was easy pickings. Right. And then I made the conscious choice to, to involve more women, more people of color, more people from marginalized groups, uh, because of their, uh, sexual orientation or, or, uh, um, gender identity. And just by doing that and showing that those people are huge fans of Dungeons and Dragons as well, I think has 
contributed to the overall growth that we're seeing with more and more people playing D&D because it's something that taps into a, a real human need, which is getting together and telling stories with your friends. I mean, not to get too personal here, but I know that even before the, the current uh, resurgence, a lot of my queer awakening was based around D&D games I was in. Yeah. I mean, that's just generally how I realized, oh, okay, I'm not what I thought I was. So yeah, a lot that's... of the people I've known throughout the years, uh, we used... I mean, there's also a fact that there's some groups have been terrible and yeah. full of people who were completely not welcoming, but there were a lot of groups that I was in that, you know, there was that moment on the table where everybody realized, oh, okay, <laughs> we can, we can be that, that, that can, we can do whatever we want here. So yeah, I definitely agree with you on that last and, part. And I definitely think that there's, there's a lot of truth to that. So th- those of you that are listening either live or, or at home on the recording, we talk about this a lot. But everything that Greg is saying is very much what we feel, too. So, like, my sister works in charity, and she works with youths, mm. and she uses gaming in particular, tabletop gaming, particularly D&D, um, based on, like, to, to sort of get these kids out of their shells and give them a world that they can escape in and be anything they want. And it's helped them work through trauma. It's helped them work through their own little roadblocks. Um, it's helped them, like Matt has pointed out, it's helped them reevaluate self. Uh, so it is a storytelling experience, but it is also something that's very deeply personal. And I think a lot of people take that for granted when they look at, like, all the merchandising and, and everything else. And like, oh, it's just a game. Uh, it's not. It's it. It can be so much more than that. It can be just a game if you want. But and I think that's really it's really important. It's really nice to hear somebody else say it, right? Because like Matt, Matt figuring out who he was, me being a, a Latino in the gaming space, trying to find my own way. Like D and D helped me do that as well. Uh, it's but it's nice to hear that reaffirmed. So I, I guess thank you for that. And it's and it's you saying that is not uncommon. I think that's that's been the the biggest wake up call for for me is is having these conversations. Uh, it's it's pretty standard for folks who have uh, you know questioned you know I, I mean that's part of the the LGBTQ right is 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 questioning what 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 is my identity and the safe space that D and D can provide to play in that way. You know it's, it's similar in some ways to to. Um, uh, MMORPGs too, but there's something better about it being around the table and, and having the support group. Um, and I think the one that's really fascinating that I've noticed is when, uh, I, I guess, a cisgender people are in the same group with people who are uh, find, figuring out their identity. Um, that just creates so much empathy. And mm-hmm. and, and it really what the, the D&D game is about is People who have different skill sets and different backgrounds and different uh, ways of approaching a problem coming together and solving them uh, as as a group. And I mean, it, wouldn't it be great if society was like that a little bit more too? Like, I think that this game is helping break down some of those barriers that might have been there between these groups and letting uh, various identities be seen. Um, you know, under the guise of us all being elves and dwarves and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, warlocks and wizards too. So. Uh, before we get into like anything more about current content, I did have a couple questions for you about your history with tabletop role playing. How did you get started in it? Like we've all told our story on the, on the podcast. I'm kind of curious. What was your first exposure to, to D and D? Yeah. So I, uh, grew up in a Catholic household, uh, in the eighties and I've actually asked my, (laughs) yeah, funny how so many of us uh, had our awakenings from D and D, uh, from that. But, um, 
I actually, I have older brothers and sisters, so I'm the youngest of uh, four kids, and my brothers and sister are seven, eight, and nine years older than. Me. So in the '80s, I was very much like uh, always thinking about like you know the teen comedies and stuff like that of that age, and many people listening may not you know, realize, but how big a fad Dungeons and Dragons was in the early '80s, where a lot, a lot of uh, suburban kids had uh, access to these books. They might not have played. They might not have played as well because they didn't really understand. Uh, I mean, that's one thing that 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 video and and content on the internet has made a lot easier to understand is how mm-hmm. to play this game. It's hard to do just by reading the manuals, especially the way those manuals were written and laid out back then. Oh god, second um, edition reading that manual and trying to make heads of tails of it. Oosh, man! I mean, the type the type is like you know four point type too. It's like <laughs> how do you even do this? Um, so I. Uh, did some digging and I found that my brothers got a, a hand-me-downs, basically a books of ha- uh, a box of hand-me-downs, mostly to close. But in that was a dungeon master's guide that I think this is the only way that this was entered in my house again, because it was a Catholic uh, upbringing. They wouldn't have allowed my uh, older brothers to purchase this, but it ended up on a shelf. I don't think my brothers really paid much attention to it, but I found it when I was like seven or eight. And I loved this idea of a simulated world. I fell in love. I didn't understand a lick of it very much uh, at that age, but I just loved that idea of swords and sorcery. And I was reading The Hobbit at the time and watching the animated series. And so all that kind of coalesced and, and cementing my love of fantasy and then having this gaming element of like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to th- all the things that I pretend in the woods when I'm, you know, running around with sticks and, 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 and slaying orcs in my head? What if I could do that with other people and have a system around it and have that simulated world? And I fell in love with that, and I started reading, you know, the Dragonlance novels in addition to, you know, some uh, some more classic fantasy. And begged my mom, and ever whenever I met someone in school or whatever who happened to just hint at that that they would be uh, part of this um, crowd, I always try to to make friends with them and get to, you know, my my parents to drive me to their house. Um, those never really coalesced into any type of long term campaign. I would either do it once. And uh, my parents would complain about having to drive me anywhere or, you know, and I just, I never was able to host or do anything on my own. My own friend group at the time wasn't really into it too. So I had to always uh, make friends. So for whatever reason, I never really played uh, uh, as a school kid. I ended up in college, played a little bit there also with people who were fairly new at it. So we didn't really kind of get it. And then it actually took until I was married, living in New York City, producing theater and doing stand up comedy that. I had this 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 epiphany where I was like, well, wait a second, I I can play Dungeons. There's no one preventing me anymore from doing this. And so I reached out. I found it was it was you know at the early age of uh, internet forums, and I reached out um, to a group who was looking for people. We met on a, a, a restaurant in the Upper West Side, and ended up in this very uh, consistent group that was playing through the Age of Worms campaign oh, wow. for three point five. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. So the the DM was very excited about that because he was an old school fan and loved all the nods to to Greyhawk lore that was in that campaign. And I I think if it wasn't for that group, I would not be quite as hooked on D anD D as I as I am now because we met every week. We uh you know went all the way from level one I think to level twenty two. Uh, I played a half elf ranger. Which you know, my love of Tannis, half elven, and 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 Aragorn uh, could be seen there. Um, I I remember I, I was a secretary at the time too uh, for a day job, and so I remember learning how to do Excel spreadsheets for uh, rolling damage because at higher levels, I think my ranger had six attacks 
And yeah. there, were various, there were various modifiers and magic items and feats and stuff that I had on there. So I, I literally taught myself how to do logic-based programming within an Excel, Excel spreadsheet. I, I'm with so you. I, I, had, I had a high-level monk during that time where I literally learned how to code in C-sharp just so I can make a dice roller to, to be able to roll all of the dice that I could because my monk of Illmater just had too many dice. I love that. See, that's exactly what D and D teaches you. It wants you to do other, learn other skills while while playing this game. <laughs> um, but I don't know if it was just luck, but uh, that group ended up having a lot of creative people within it. Um, one of them was an actor and uh, a director, and so I ended up producing uh, something with him on an off Broadway thing. Another one was a, uh, a RPG writer. I ended up collaborating with him on writing like two or three RPG books. Uh, at the time. Um, and so we really had to, and another one of them ended up working at Paizo, still is at Paizo to this day, developing content. So it was this weird, great group of, of people who were, uh, attached to, um, to the, to the creative kind of content production side around Dungeons and Dragons. And at the same time, that's when I started, um, pitching to the escapist, uh, back in the day when it was a PDF that was emailed out, uh, to people. Um, and so that was the first writing that I ever got paid for was uh, was one of those articles. And then soon after I was doing RPG books. And so it kind of spiraled into doing um, more game journalist uh, type stuff. And then uh, it transitioned into working now at, at D&D and having all types of uh, my name and, and books that, uh, you know, you guys have on your shelves right now. <laughs> uh, I love hearing the journey, especially for those uh, for those folks at home, like you wonder like how do you go from being a player to being like to getting to where you want to go like there there's greg greg just told you <laughs> <laughs> it was a, a, a lucky, lucky roll of the dice as people say oh, yeah. you, you got to be in the right position at the right time to take advantage of it that's all i mean i'm i'm the odd one out in this group because i haven't been playing D for very long i'm one of this kind of crowd of new dnders that i got in through critical role i've had friends mm-hmm. who watch critical role and I started watching Critical Role, and then I started learning rules. And then I'm like, you know, talking to the television when it's on. And I'm like, why are you doing this? You could be doing that. And then it just, it snowballs from there. And D&D just attracts all sorts of creative people. There's this, you know, everyone who plays D&D is going into, you're creating another world. Even if you're running, you know, published adventure from someone, there's a lot of creativity. There's a lot of improv. Uh, just responding on the spot and it naturally attracts creative people who want to think big and think about other things and other spaces. Uh, so I think you get an interesting crowd in D and D. Absolutely. I, I love that uh, Liz, that you came into it from watching, um, critical role and, and video of other people playing. I think that's the thing mm-hmm. that, you know, over the last five years has been the biggest boon yeah. to to D is because as i said those manuals even fifth edition for how well they are written it's really hard to to explain in text how to play this game you really do oh, have yeah. to see it right well i mean i also think that there's something about the demystification process of being able to watch it live yeah because you talked about they would never would have let the book in your house my dad wasn't just catholic he was like what they call fundamentalist catholic Oosh, I'm like, sorry. I, we lived on an island, and he was convinced that the nuclear war was going to happen. Oosh. So, uh, yeah, people like I when he and my mom started having arguments about this because she was she was Catholic, but not that Catholic. Um, <laughs> so she was started subtly doing things that she knew would bother him. Uh, in retrospect, I should have seen the divorce coming. But regardless, um, <laughs> they she started picking up 
stuff with like dragons on it and magic and all that. And she wasn't even trying to get me Dungeons and Dragons at first. She just accidentally bought me the monster manual because they had it at a local Inn and hope, um, which was, if, if you're from new England, you know what that is. And if you're not, you have no idea, but it's basically like a, it was like a discount Kmart. Um, but yeah, they had it on the, on the shelves. So she started picking me up and I remember getting like, she got me a box set and it was the box set before the classic basic set with the arrow Lotus cover. Mm. This was the one that had another, I think it was still an arrow Lotus cover, but it was a much, much more primitive one. It was the one after Chainmail. It was the, the very first box set, the one where, you know, dwarves and, and elves are, are classes. Right. And that's what she got me that, but then she also got me the monster manual. So I had to try and figure out how to use the monster manual with it. And the monster manual was AD and D. So it was like, ah, but everyone <laughs> in my family thought I was going to, to hell because I had this evil wizard book that I was going to use to cast black magic spells on them. And I tried in vain to explain to them, no, no, this is a bunch of nerds sitting around rolling dice and arguing <laughs> about numbers. There's no, there's no magic there, I mean, we talk about magic, but much the same way that like in a, in the Lord of the Rings books or what have you, that we don't actually do anything. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it, it's just, people didn't really, it, it's easier to just show people. If you show people playing it, it's like, Oh, that's not scary. <laughs> they're not doing anything. They're just sitting around a table, e you know, e eating chips and talking. It, this is nothing. I remember so my, I mo my mom was the fundamentalist one in, in our family. And I still to this day don't understand why she was. She said she talked to some, one of her friends at church and the, her son uh, was into D&D &D and he just didn't have any friends and he was never, never, you know, uh, able to, to make it socially and blah, 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 blah. And she was like, I don't want that to happen to you. And I was like, you know what? D&D &D is, you need friends to play D&D. &D. Yeah, it is, so, it is inherently social. Yeah. Exactly. It's not, it's not me. Sit, if, if, I mean, for a lot of it, honestly, I did just sit around and read a lot of books. Uh, the first game I got to actually run wasn't even D&D, &D, but it was a TSR product. It was the Marvel Superheroes role-playing game. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I got to run it because nobody else had the books. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to run this. And then they all came over and like, you know, you can be the Hulk. You can be, you know, we, we'll explain later why the Hulk and the Silver Surfer are hanging out with Frogman. But, <laughs> you know, and, and we did it and it was great. And then so I started running D&D &D because I had the books again. It, it, come, it came down to I had the books. And that's another thing I think is much more accessible. For like, sure. Yeah. Things like D&D &D Beyond, you can actually, you can share your books with people. You can, you know, help them play. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think there's a lot more accessibility now than there was when when some of us older people got into it, and I think that's only for the best because people you, you don't have to you don't have to try and like push back against ridiculous myths about it. You can just say, "Look, look, this is what it looks like. This is it." Yeah, and I or sorry, go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. I was just going to say, well, two things. One is the video does make it so much easier to understand how it's played, but I think one thing that uh, folks don't necessarily realize is that it shows there are different styles of play mm -hmm. really yep. well. Like there's lots of different, you know, live play groups and things out there. Like the adventure zone is very different than, than critical role and, and, and vice versa. And yeah, what I really, is different than those. And what people, I really love is the, uh, outside Xbox slash extra group, the Ox Ventures guild, because oh, it cool. got my wife into watching it. Cause she, cause it's funny. Like they're right. having fun, you know, and, and, that, and that's the kind of thing. They're, they they didn't know what they were doing. They were all new players, so she empathized with them. It wasn't like Adventure Zone's fun, but they've been but playing they, for a while. They yeah. know they know the game. Yeah. Whereas with the, with the uh, the outside extra stuff, they had no idea. So she got to be like, you know, what does that do? And they would they that would show because they didn't know what it did. 
So that's, there's, yeah, there's tons of different styles. You're absolutely right. And then back in the eighties, you know, the, the experience that you might've had, it would be going to a game store and trying to drop into something. And we mentioned how there might be groups that are less, uh, uh open to, yeah, right. Exactly. Right. And so you could, you could go into that and have one experience and then bounce off the game and just be like, look, I didn't, I, I thought it was this. It didn't end up being fun because of all these reasons. I'm never going to play D and D again, because that's my only experience with what it was. And I think what video does now is allow people to realize that there's an ideal game out there for them. And that real, you know, that you might have to find it. You might have to, you know, try a few different groups and different, um, adventure stories and, you know, uh, to, to really find the thing that is your niche. But there's now the idea that like you can find your niche and you won't just bounce off after having a bad experience at a convention or something. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think there's a lot of truth to that too. And I think there's a lot of truth just going back to what Matt said about the ex- accessibility. Like we, we were talking about on the last Tavern Watch, like going back to the old like cartographer tools, the old D&D 3.5 disc that you would get and how that was mm-hmm. like a breakthrough at the time. And now we're com- we were comparing it to now where like open accessibility, you have D&D Beyond, Roll20, Fantasy Grounds, their standalone apps, there's uh, dice rollers and and things that uh, hook right into Discord. The ability to find groups through social means now, which we didn't have back then, um, whatever social platform your 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 preference is, uh, you can like you said, you can find those groups that match what you want to. And we we were talking a couple weeks ago about it started as a, like a match the gathering thing, but and and. Harold's back to maybe some of the older D&D stuff, the, the session zero rule zero conversation, where now you can yeah. actually talk ahead of time when you know what kind of thing you want to experience. So, like, I've run for groups that everybody was like, we're all brand new. We have no clue what we're doing. This is what we want. And I go, OK, right. You have that ability now and you have so much more accessibility that it is it is absolutely fantastic. And I think over the last probably five, maybe maybe a little bit more years, D&D has really exploded, not just because of accessibility, but also the quality of the product is, in my opinion, the best it's been in a very long time. Um, and I think we could talk about what the, the current stuff has been. Um, so yeah, I guess over to you, like you, we, you guys have been putting out a ton of stuff, more books more consistently than I think I can remember. So, I mean, you want to talk a little maybe bit about the, that? Maybe the third ed, end of the third ed era had a lot of books. Maybe the end of the third ed, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, and also, I mean, we, we, we didn't talk about fourth edition and probably rightfully so. Uh, uh, I, let's not be mean to fourth edition. I think fourth edition had a lot of really nice stuff. I think it, it I think it did too. Um, personally, the, the combat got bogged down for yeah. me too yeah. much. It, it became too much more of a chess game. Um, yeah. I, I will was, actually say the other thing about it that I didn't like at the time was that it felt like it was trying too hard to be like a video game. Yeah. Which I think, I think you were I, talking about the combat bogging down. It was like, we, we have assigned roles and assigned, you know, it's like D and D's best in my opinion when it's flexible, but there was still a lot of good stuff with it. I'm going to, I'm going to sim for it. I had a, a, a fantastic group that we, we used whatever it, it, it was all about the storytelling and what you could get out of it, despite the, the system uh, uh, or, you know, in conjunction with the system for sure. Um, but at the end of that era, there was a lot of content that was being put out by the D and D team. Uh, and it was hard to keep that, 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 uh, quality bar consistent when you're just constantly churning out Mm -hmm. new classes and new, new, uh, uh, races to play with and, and all types of stuff. And so I think in the, you know, talking this over with the D and D team, kind of in retrospect, uh, those who were around during that era, they can, they consciously made the choice to reduce the number of releases. So I don't know if you guys uh, remember this, but in 2014, when when 5th edition D&D came out, there was the three core rule books, and then there was one adventure book. 
Yep. And then the next year, there was, I think, three books total, yep. two of which were adventure books. Um, and uh, one was like the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, right? So there was this idea to be like, let's not do 14 releases a year that we can barely support through any marketing or, or uh, community development. Let's make really, really good hardcover books, you know, in the 200 to 250 page range that we are super proud of at every level, right? Every single piece of content here has been reviewed and is excellent. The artwork was, um, you know, a, a big focus to try to move away from the chainmail bikinis and uh, representation that was in the older books mm-hmm. and to really bring them forward and have, uh, you know, uh, people of color front and center, uh, you know, women who are uh, powerful adventurers and not just uh, there for eye candy. Um, you know, all that stuff just contributed to there being, you know, few releases that were, were must buys really. And and I think, um, I think that shows, right. And I think that shows too, especially with some of the design decisions that the, the team over there has been making, like getting rid of racials and well, I shouldn't say getting rid of, but like moving away from having hard coded racials for races and having it be lineage and you can customize and be whatever you want. Like it opens up so much more. So then these books in essence become more accessible as a result of that, which is absolutely true. phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. And, we, and we've, we've increased the production a little bit. I think, like I said, we've got three this uh, fall, which feels like a lot uh, to be talking about. Um, but they have increased the the D team's kind of, you know, uh, load uh, a lot to be able to, to consistently deliver on this, this, this awesome amount of content. And with that same bar that the first books of, of the fifth, fifth edition era kind of, you know, set. Well, you had James Wyatt come back from Magic, yes. and you know he he did some of my favorite stuff in third edition. So I was super excited to see him back. Um, I'm going to ask if that has anything to do with one of my favorite books you guys have put out so far. Uh, still, right now, it's still like in my top three. Is the Theros book? Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely love the Theros book. I think it is it is one of the best adaptations of other game material into D and D I've ever seen. Going back, and I'm wow. I'm including that really good Wheel of Time book you guys did back in the day, <laughs> uh, which the Wheel of Time role playing game that they put out in the 2000s was amazing. Straight up, that, that on that's my come, shelf right now. It's uh, really it good. Such a good book. Yeah, it it, it I use the best the all wood- cover you guys have done too. Yeah. <laughs> I used I used the Woodsman from that book instead of the Ranger. Guy replaced Rangers. I have more wow. questions about Rangers that might come in because I've played Rangers for years and I have problems. But <laughs> regardless, the Theros book, really amazing. How, how did you guys come upon the idea of doing more Magic the Gathering stuff? Like, Because that's something that's really been the past couple of years. Honestly, um, it's James Wyatt. Um, okay. He's, he's re- I can trace it back directly to him. So he's, we've told this story on, on uh, the Dragon Talk podcast before, but I'll give it in, in brief now. Um, is this going to mention all those things he did, like just the sidetrack type things he did for, for magic? Yes. Those, those yeah. So great. he, he, uh, as you said, he was on the D and D team and then he was moved to the world building team, uh, for, for magic, the gathering. And he did fantastic work there in, in, in developing the, the sets that were coming out at the time. And as part of that, he thought that there were these art books that were coming out. Uh, um, I think the first one was for Zendikar. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And it showed all of the artwork that was, I mean, you know, with, with Magic the Gathering sets, they commission, you know, 200 to 300 pieces of art for each set. And, you know, you see it in a, a two by three window on a, on a cardboard card and you're like, well, that's great. But wouldn't it be great if it was, you know, shown writ large, right? And so they developed these art books that showed off some of that. But then they also realized, like, well, what else are we going to put in there? And then they put all this world building content 
that doesn't necessarily see the light of day. Like you see it in certain places on the flavor text in Magic Guards. You see it sometimes on uh, uh, fiction that's that's published on the Wizards of the Coast site. Um, but this was, was all collected into one thing, and James was uh, instrumental in this book. I think he might have led the development of those Art of Magic books. And then as he's doing all that, he's realizing like these are basically D&D setting books for mm-hmm. each of these individual worlds. And there was this conventional wisdom at the company, which I, I, start, I started there in 2015. And I knew it then, and I remember it as a fan being aware of this too, that the Magic the Gathering IP and the Dungeons & Dragons IP shall never meet. They shall never, uh, there was like a commandment set down from, from, from the burning bush. Like they should just never, ever be mixed because reasons. I could never, never really understand the reasons, I, but that I was just this, <laughs> it was just this knowledge. Yeah. Um, and James had the idea, he was doing these art of magic books. He's like, what if we, what if we, what if I, on the side, um, you know, he has his day job, like in, in his nights, could he develop these uh, PDFs? Um, I forget what they were called, but they were um, basically taking the material from the Art of Magic books and putting D and D Fifth Edition rules on them, so that you could play as a as a vampire in Innistrad, uh, you know, and uh, some of the other um, uh, iconic parts of those settings. You could play them in D and D. And he went around to executive after executive at Wizards of the Coast, basically asking for permission. Like, it, can I do this? Is it okay? And he's like, I was looking for someone to tell me no, and no one told him no. And so he's like, okay, well, I guess I'm doing it. And he, he just did it on his own. He, you know, because he had the, the resources from, um, you know, being both a D and D designer and a magic designer, as well as how to publish uh, PDFs, he just did it. And they were popular. People love them on the magic side who love also were D and D fans. They got to play as some of their iconic, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, parts of those settings, as I said. And it took off. And that amount of excitement that we saw in the community with these two IP blending for the first time was, well, maybe there's something here. Maybe there is something about taking all the world building work that we do for each of these magic sets. Now, not all of them, but some of them could really translate well to a D&D universe. And so uh, Theros was, was, was one of those, was born from that. And I think it is such an interesting uh, choice to make one because it is that um, sandals and sorcery, I guess, right? That kind of mm-hmm. bronze age, iron age type of, of, uh, storytelling, you know, of Greek myths. They're, they're, those are basically D and D parties writ large. Right. So, um, that responded a lot. And then they were able to add all those legendary, um, uh, villains and, and how those work. And some of that is bled into the mechanics, uh, for, for D&D now, like you can see in Fizban's Treasury of Dragons, they basically used some of that system and, and ported it for use with the great worms and how those are are being mm-hmm. used. So it's, it's really all down to James Wyatt. Uh, so kudos to him for, for, for making this blend happen. Seriously, I just wanted to say that the uh, product books in question were called Plane Shifts. Plane Shifts, There's, thank uh, you. Plane Shift Zendikar, Innistrad, uh, Kaladesh, uh, Emoktet, and uh, Ixalan, and I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing them, Excellent. but I've never actually heard them spoken. Excellent, um, right. Yep. But the, they, the, all of them exist. They're all free. Like, yeah. Wizards just gave them away. And my 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 current game that I'm running with these people um, is, got, it's, an, it's a homebrew world, but I stole a ton of <laughs> stuff from these books. They have no idea how much stuff from these books they've actually uh, I mean, bought. I- we we could we could argue about that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, you, you, you didn't recognize the biggest one. 
Maybe not, but uh, put it that way. But yeah, they, they're really, really good. And I, I, I do think Theros as a book, it, when I saw Fizman's, I did notice that I was, the first thing I was like is wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I think Joe's got something. I, I was going to say, like, I, I was going to bring this up because I think it's one of the more interesting things that a lot of people, uh, I don't want to say laughed off, but I know like locally when we were talking about some of the cross pollinization, um, I think it started like the first official like real book was Guilds of Ravnica, wasn't it? That was the first hardcover book that was released. Correct. Yeah. And it was ignored largely in at least my local area, which is a shame because it's a fantastic book as far as like, uh, you know, classes, races and, and sort of like what happens if an entire planet is nothing but one giant city. Um, and it, it always seemed like a no brainer to me to like just cross pollinate between the two, especially because a lot of people who would play D&D traditionally would play Magic the Gathering. Um, so you have that, yeah. you, have, you have Theros, you now have Strixhaven coming up, which we're going to talk about in a, a couple minutes, hopefully, but then it's going the other way too, which really excited me and actually wound up getting me sucked back into Magic the Gathering, uh, is when the core set was released for this past year of Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, um, and I started seeing things like, oh, I can actually play Volo Guide to Monsters as a character? Sure, let me go <laughs> ahead and grab this, um, but it just... it. Oh, great. It feels good. It feels it feels right because there's always been sort of even in the early days of magic in the early in D and D when two existed at the same time in the nineties. I mean, me as a player, it always made sense to have the two of them together. It always made sense to have Baron Sengir pop up in you know a D and D game or Dak and Blackblade or or you know Nicol Bolas or any of those other major names from back then. And now they actually can. And it's codified and it's there and there's the opportunity for them to actually show up. And it's, I think it's been fantastic. I I love it too. I I think that we are expanding on this idea of the multiverse within both D&D and my magic is kind of always had that as the idea of going from plane to plane to plane and and, and Mm -hmm. having different stories told in each one of them. Um, And Dungeons and Dragons is embracing that too with the idea that, you know, uh, the, the planet of, Toril, I was going to say Faerun, but it's not actually, you know, where where um, the Forgotten Realms is set. It's just one of the worlds that's in the same multiverse that Theros is, in the same multiverse that um, uh, Akid, where 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 Dark Sun is set, is is all in the same kind of multiverse. And so you can have all these plane shifting stories um, that is really exciting. And I think fans really enjoy when you're in a D&D group and then like Morden Kanan shows up and you're like, oh my gosh, he's got so much story <laughs> behind him. Um, and, uh, you know, you get that little kind of fan uh, fan person moment uh, there, which I think is super fun. And well, you, you know, did that I, with Tasha too. Yes, exactly. Tasha, you brought her in from Greyhawk. And yep. also, this, I'm not going to ask any questions about it because the product isn't out yet, but you did an Earth Darkana and I saw you put in the Star Frontiers races. <laughs> I saw that. Nobody else seems to have seen it, but I saw it. You put Wild in the, the monkey people, the Azirans, and you put in the Drazolites. And you kind of made the the the, the uh, Vrusk, although it's really just the Thrycreen. But they're still, they could be the Vrusk. I noticed this. <laughs> you are smart. No, it's not that I'm smart. It's that I am just an obsessive nerd about old old games. <laughs> I yeah, I'm certainly I'm certainly looking forward to seeing whatever these races come into and having a chance to play them. Yeah. She because, she's she's our editor, so I had to like mm-hmm. I wrote the post and she's like, Matt, you, people don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, I, I'm pretty sure what exactly what I told you was, you know, Matt, you need to write it like you're writing it for an idiot. You need to write it like you're writing it for me, and I have no idea what any of this older stuff is. 
Yeah, because because so, I was basically yeah. just yelling in chat. It's Drazolite. People are like, "What? What's wrong? Someone fall down a well, Matt? No Drazolites. <laughs> they put in Drazolites." <laughs> well, I love that approach, Liz. I think that is actually where one of the pieces of content on uh, Dragon Talk uh, called "Lore You Should Know" came from. Was that I was, uh, you know, I know I know D and D spells and in some ways some of Greyhawk lore, but I knew nothing about Forgotten Realms lore when I started working at Wizards or very little. And I was like, I bet there's people like me and like you who who are are somewhat new to this particular IP. So let me be the the audi- audience surrogate and talk to Chris Perkins. Uh, about you know things that are just in his brain that has you know thirty years of working on this game is locked inside and maybe that'll be of interest to people and it, it turns out that it is it's fun to be like you know delving into each of these things that have an excitement for 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 longtime fans like Matt but then bringing them forward to uh, fans who are newer to the game like you and I think that's a big part of why D and D is popular now amongst both groups is because there's this openness to to learning more. Speaking of learning, I think we should maybe talk a little bit about Strixhaven since that's going to be coming up. Yeah. So yeah, you- I love this oh, oh, wait, uh, can I, can I so ask much. Other thing before you do. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, one of the questions I had was about older campaigns, and I'm not asking you what products you're working on or anything like that. But <laughs> you, guys, you guys have the rights to all the old TSR stuff, right? I believe that we that that Wizards of the Coast purchased TSR in 1997 and acquired all of that. Yes. Because. Uh, I know you must have known about this when when another company decided to call itself TSR and said they were going to be making, uh, I think it was Top Secret, and another company then came up and decided they were going to be TSR. Um, th- they didn't have the right. They had to license that if they were working on it, right? I cannot comment on Okay, on that's fine. I just wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to see at least that you guys had the rights because that's yeah. something. Every so often people say, they should do this, and I'm like, I don't even know if they own that. I right, right. Well, I mean, so as far I, as I know, everything that we, I mean, and I, I researched this too when I was uh, more on the journalist side, but like any, everything that, 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 uh, uh, TSR owned at that time is now owned by which. Okay. That was it. Now go ahead and, and talk about the <laughs> which, stuff. Here, here's, here's a cool fun thing that I can tell uh, about that is, is, um, hopefully when things open up, you guys can come to the, which is the coast offices in the Seattle area and I can show these off, but one of the fun things that I discovered when I was working there was all of these weird D and D prototype products from the eighties. Um, and the story behind that is when Wizards of the Coast acquired TSR, they like, they, you know, they also got all the stuff that was in the building, uh, at, at the offices in TSR. And some of that made its way to, uh, the wizard's offices. And so I've seen like memos about like, we need to make sure we turn the heat off in the bathroom after 8 PM, uh, from, from the TSR offices dated like 1981 or something. Um, but there was also this, uh, uh, all that stuff got put into a container in Wisconsin and was forgotten. Someone at Wizards of the Coast was like, why are we paying for this storage container in, in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin or whatever? we should go, let's at least see what we're storing here. Like we're paying this money on a, 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 a leasing this, this space. And so they went through it and they found all of these, um, you know, amongst other stuff, these prototype um, uh, licensed deals. And some of them are really cool. They're these pink uh, uh, birthday hats. Uh, you remember those old like cones that you used to wear with the elastic um, with, with D and D art on them in this bright day glow pink color. There's napkins for parties. I remember There's... my D and D birthday party at a laser Tron once. 
<laughs> uh, so we took all that stuff and put it on display uh, because we were like, man, this is like a, uh, you know, uh, looking at a, um, what's the word, a time capsule uh, in reverse in the 80s. And some of this stuff I don't think ever saw the light of day. I think it was all stuff that was just made for prototype purposes and never actually uh, sold. So there's some really cool, fun, retro looking things uh, in the wizard's office from from the acquisition of TSR back in the day. I, I I think I speak for everybody. That would be cool to to like come see at some point because I I think it would be just hilarious to see all of the stuff that like from the eighties and sort of be transported back. I can't f- wait to get my War Duke costume on. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And one of those things was a I have it here in my in my office right now. It's a uh, um, not War Duke Strongheart costume. Oh wow! <laughs> And it says it doesn't say Strongheart on the packaging at all, but all you see is Paladin uh, on the on the side, and it's a flame retarded uh, costume uh, in bold, friendly letters on the on the on the packaging. Please tell me it's got one of those really chintzy, like old school plastic, like winged helmets. Oh yeah, or something. yes. Yeah, um, and that's why. And that was when I saw that I was like, wait a second, all the artwork of those characters. I don't know if I'm being a little too spoilery, but in uh, the Wild Beyond the Witchlight. There's some new artwork of Strongheart, I will say. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a second. I think this costume is Strongheart. And then I verified it with uh, with uh, Chris Perkins. He's like, yep, that must be it. I'm going to tell you right now, when when you hear a like, glass breaking and you turn on the light in your living room and you find Joe there trying desperately to get out of your house with your Strongheart costume, you have only yourself to blame for this. It's true. I've set up a heist situation here. Uh, good times. I love it. Uh, but certainly, hey. oh, go ahead, Liz. Well, I kind of tying that into Witchlight is obviously some of these characters are showing back up in Witchlight. And it's kind of interesting back to like me as a newer player and everyone else here has been playing for a long time. I'm like, kind of these are sort of neat, sort of standard fantasy characters, I guess. And every, and like Matt is over here, like they're bringing back War Duke and just all of these things. And it's, it's, it's interesting to have these different perspectives. Like for some it, people, it, this is like a really cool nostalgia and for other people, it's like, oh, oh, interesting. It's like kind of a fantasy paladin. Yeah. Yeah. It took all of my strength to not write a complete like 2000 word retrospective on, you know, War Duke throughout the years, including his appearance in Dragon Magazine back in 2000 and how they decided to make him literally like a 20th level death machine. <laughs> uh, and and how I used him to kill an entire party once, not even intending to. Like, oh my god, this guy's way too strong. Like, so yeah, um, that that took a lot. But I'm going to throw this to Joe now because we've been delaying him on Strixhaven for a while. Well, no, I mean, I think I think uh, the, these questions are good, and I, I know Liz. But if you want to ask about uh, the Witchlight stuff before we move on, I think that's perfectly fine. This would be a great place for it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been running a Witchlight campaign for. These gentlemen and some other people at uh, at Blizzard Watch, and it's been uh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I've been seeing your posts on it. Uh, yes, I mean, hmm. it's I mean, it's a weird it's a weird campaign because you can get through the entire campaign without going into combat if you want to, and it feels like there's been uh, a focus on presenting D and D as not necessarily a game where you just go out and like murder everything in front of you. In Candlekeep, uh, Candlekeep Mysteries obviously had kind of a focus on solving mysteries. And there's plenty of combat in Candlekeep, but you can also, there are also kind of interesting angles you can perf- you can go into. And then we had Witchlight, and it's just everything in Witchlight you can do, it, just socially, just never going into combat, you can just be social. And I think, I think that's very interesting, but it's also 
certainly trying to run Witchlight, it sometimes poses it sometimes poses problems for me. I'm obviously a pretty new DM. I started doing this in the last year because I figured out the secret to being able to play D&D. You say, if I DM this game, will you come and play? And then you just have a <laughs> pile of character sheets in front of you. Uh, so yes, yeah. I apparently now I, I DM games. But what I was really wondering... I, yeah, I stumbled... Yeah, I stumbled into this. Just I wanted to play more D and D, and it's like, um, well, what if I run a game and then it's like everyone wants to play? So right, right. The, well, and dungeon mastering this one, I I agree with you. It is it is different, right? It's not just the bog standard of you know, there's a monster in that dungeon, mm-hmm. go into it and kill it, and then come back and and you know sell your loot or you know turn in your quest, right? It is very much more about the social aspect and how. Uh, people can do it, but you can also, you can run it very combat oriented if, if that's what your party wants to do. I mean, that's why there's the stat blocks there, right? You can run it that way and it doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's, it's less of a story or, or not the way it was intended. I think what was interesting about this one is that, uh, Chris Perkins wanted to make a, an adventure where it was possible to do that. And maybe even inspired by some of the things that we see by role-playing in, in, in games like World of Warcraft, right? Where there's, I always read the stories on your site and others about people who have, you know, got to level 60 by not killing anything uh, along the way or only mining or, you know, that herbalism is the only way to level up. And I think he kind of took that as a challenge and wanted to present <laughs> it this way. You know, I think it would be very difficult to run this entire adventure uh, with players, even if they were invested in the non-combat options, it's going mm-hmm. to be something that can, that will want to fight you uh, based on on dice rolls of of uh, reactions and things like that but um it's difficult to run i will say that because there are so many npcs i think that especially early on it's a lot harder to internalize that it reminds me a little bit of um running out of the abyss when i was a new fifth edition dm is because you have all of these npcs that you kind of quickly have to develop personalities for um along the way Right. Yeah, I, I think Wishlight actually does a good job of that, and maybe even too good of a job, because mm. I know for myself and at least one other player in the Wishlight game, we were hyper-focused on saving the Displacer Beast Cub. Oh, yeah. So his mother had lost it, to the point where that was the only thing that was important anymore. <laughs> and I think that was a really big... No, I'm serious. I think that was a really big disconnect, because I, all I was focused on was my character's motivation. Save the cat. And save the kitty. Like, seriously, like, I, I honestly, I went back and looked at it and thought about it afterwards because we, we had a fracas where several of us got thrown out of the carnival. Um, mm. And it was an I, incident. I kept thinking to myself, <laughs> I, all I could think about was trying to find out where the kitten is. And so it, it led me into a more hostile approach than I otherwise would have because it didn't feel like anybody else at the carnival cared where the kitty was. And it's yeah. like, no, I want to know where that kitten that kitten is. I don't care about, you know, your romantic difficulties. Solve them. I want to find the kitten. <laughs> and and so yeah, it is. It's actually fascinating how how quickly some like at least my character and I think one other person's character really focused in on that and were like, that's the important thing. And it is. It's there's a lot going on in which light. Uh, so well, that's, yeah, that's a really important lesson. I think that. I mean, you know, I uh, applaud you, Liz, for jumping in and and dungeon mastering this one uh, for for one of your first goes at it because it's it's a difficult thing to manage when the player investment is not what the adventure is invested in. Um, on a homebrew campaign that I was running on Wednesday nights. Um, I was super invested. I'd just gotten the uh, Strongholds and Followers and Kingdoms and Warfare books from MCDM. Um, and I basically designed this campaign to 
to use the the aspects of that of of those books. Uh, tried to make that as clear as possible in the session zero, and then we were getting to the point where we I wanted to have those characters use their strongholds and 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 start some some larger scale war type battles, and nobody was really interested in it. And it was really only me who was the one who was wanting to push that kind of mode of play. And I realized, oh, this is a disconnect. Like I, I need to, I need to focus on what my players want to do uh, here, and not just what I, as DM, is is kind of hammering through. Yeah. Um, sometimes, sometimes that can work, and sometimes people will come along. But I don't think I was expert enough in how I was presenting it uh, to to kind of make that go forward. And so, you know, I, I mean, in that case, I don't think Matt, you did anything wrong. I think that's no, just your, I, it that's was just... Your, that's what your thing is about, and that's a cool story. And maybe you can resolve that, and then move on to other stuff. Yeah, we'll, uh, that's we'll see. I just, I definitely felt like it was, to me, it was kind of like when I designed a huge magical city, <laughs> you're never going to let oh, this go. No. <laughs> never going to let it go. And the entire party decided they were too scared to go there. And so I had to come up with, okay, then a pirate ship grabs you on the fly because <laughs> y'all weren't going to the magical city where the major encounter was going to be. Yep. Yep. I know my yeah, co-host. So yeah. no, it was a good game, but I just, <laughs> nevertheless, I remember thinking I spent 12 days coming up with these npcs <laughs> developing backstories that you you'll did, never know about you did too good of a job of making the big bad that scary that's all it was <laughs> my co-host on dragon talk famously tells the story where she was damning for the first time and she had planned the party to go left uh while there was an option for them to go right everything she had prepared was was left and they of course went the opposite way and she broke. She was just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know. Uh, the DMing sucks. I'm never going to do this again. And now over time, she's like, why didn't I just put everything that was on the left? Just, on the right, yeah, just, on the right. just read the right thing. Yeah. Just read the left stuff. Exactly. Right stuff. That took me forever to learn to do. It's, 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 it's like, a hard... okay, just say that the pirate ship takes you to a totally different magical city with a different name. And then no. there you go. Yeah, that's, exactly. Yeah. That's what I did. <laughs> I didn't. We didn't spend enough time there, though, so you didn't get to see all the NPCs. There's uh, more new yeah. campaigns to run, Matt. That's what you got to do. <laughs> um, but you know, one of the things I was wondering about Witchlight is how how does this non-combat stuff kind of how do y'all feel it's been fitting into the game? Because D and D has these really codified, clear rules for handling combat, but when you go into social situations, it's kind of anything can happen you could turn left you could turn right you don't know and it's a lot vaguer when you're trying to run an adventure that's really focused on social because of all the directions it could wander off to and do you feel like the Witchlight book is something that works is this something y'all are uh that y'all think has been successful and you want to continue exploring I I think it has to it goes from adventure to adventure, right? I think once mm -hmm. one thing that's really been important about the fifth edition era is that um, each major adventure we do each year it feels very different from the one before it, right? Like so, mm -hmm. so Wild Beyond the Witchlight is very different than Icewind Dale, which was very different than Avernus, which was very different than uh, uh, Waterdeep before that, right? And so they all have these these very different things. So I, I don't think we're going to necessarily do something similar next year, um, but it worked for a Feywild story that is about, you know, weird bargains and fanciful creatures, almost in an Alice in Wonderland childlike uh, guys. Um, and so I will say that running it for my 10 year old daughter, uh, you, well, I don't have video turned on, but on behind me is the map of the Witchlight Carnival open and her character uh, sheet, uh, you know, ready to jump into whenever we want, because 
it's a really nice way to do like an hour's worth of content with her when we've got some downtime here and she can, you know, be her fairy character and talk to, I mean, a lot of what she loves about D and D is that social aspect of meeting fanciful creatures and really taming pets is really the only thing she's really excited about. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of that. She hasn't yet met the displacer beast, uh, or, or the missing kitten, but I have a feeling like she will, she will latch onto that story just like you did, Matt, and, and want to save them. Um, I'm, I'm a bunny. I want to help people. Exactly. Right. She's a fairy and has a bunny as a friend. So it's all, uh, all ready to go. Um, so I, I like that aspect of it. And, you know, there, I, I think that we, we will get up into combat eventually and have all of that going on. But so far, I'm really enjoying running it uh, with these. I, want, I don't want to say low stakes, but just, you know, the more fanciful kind of nature that's going on here in, in the carnival itself before we get to the Feywild. Actually, that's since you talked about that. Strixhaven actually has a lot of social gaming type aspects to it. True. Um, and so you want to talk about that? Like, how, how does Strixhaven approaching like it's i think it's like a school type environment i know it's a school type environment but I, the, the kind of like i saw someone describe it sort of like buffy the vampire slayer in terms of like you know the, the scooby gang and their interactions with each other i don't know if that's a good metaphor or not but i'm figure i'll throw yeah. it out there and let you decide what you want to talk about on it well it's, it's funny because you know matthew lillard is a is a is a great proponent of D nowadays yep. and he is mm-hmm. the, the the shaggy uh in that picture um but yeah i love what is going on in strixhaven because it it, it portrays a very different take on D even than 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 uh wild beyond the Witchlight, right because we all love those coming of age you know school-based sports-based stories sometimes right with like the bring it on and the uh um, Hoosiers, I don't know, I'm pulling at straws here for, for sports type, you know, collegiate <laughs> movies. Um, but that's what Strixhaven is to me. It's got that idea of there being these people who may not have chosen to be together, but find their family and, uh, you know, honor this awesome, fantastical guys of a magical, uh, academy and the relationship system in that is super interesting and super fun. And I hope people are able to, uh, engage with it to provide more, kind of framework around how social interactions can be you can build up rivals right you can create uh situations where you have you know a role-playing scene happen and after as a result of that scene you have like a a negative rival point and so you can if you have more of those interactions you can end up having this other group of students within the magical academy that you're you know you you want to see be bested uh, at all points and that just creates so much conflict and drama that's beyond the standard of you know dungeons and dragons conflict and drama which is you know i hit it with my sword type stuff so i like that social aspect um you can have better relationships you know beyond not just rivals you can have relationship points and have those build uh as well as downtown uh, downtown downtime uh type activities that can go on while you're at the magical academy um so many things Uh, around college life that I that I really like that are being like having their own jobs and how those can interact with your character class and your and your studies. Um, that's all really cool. And then it's shown off really well in Strixhaven with a four part adventure, which is different than both Ravnica and Theros in that those were mostly setting books and you know maybe story hooks were peppered throughout those books, but it was not a a, a programmed adventure that you could run front to back and Strixhaven has all that world building and has all those NPCs that you can, you, you know, bring into your game, no matter how much of, uh, you know, whether you're in Strixhaven or if you're in a magical Academy that's set in your home world. Um, but these adventures show off those mechanics really well and, and, uh, really make you feel like you are in a consistent thing. And so there's, there's four of them. They, they basically take your, 
your uh, adventuring group from from being freshmen, from being like first years to going to uh, to being seniors by the end of the uh, uh, campaign. And there's a meta overarching story that that the group is interacting with beyond just the trials and tribulations of being a, a college student. And so all that is just really exciting. And I'm really excited. I, what What is interesting for me is once this comes out on December 7th, to see people take pieces of it. Just like just like you were talking about doing with the plane shift articles and 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 bringing it into their worlds uh, piecemeal, right? And I think that's interesting because two things. One is December seventh is my birthday. Uh, Happy and, birthday! Yeah, so so you know, feel free to get me some books, guys. <laughs> uh, but secondly, though, is listening to you talk about it reminds me of a lot of stuff that's that's come out. Like it reminds me a bit of Avatar, and it reminds me of the Young Justice and other mm. like you know animated things about young people coming of age and discovering their power and so forth. It's it's this goes back to like you know what Animorphs even. I mean, there's there's a ton of books like that. But I just I really I like that idea. That's that's a hook into it that I hadn't considered before. Um, I mean, and even even teen comedies, right? Like I was I had a brainstorm the other day when I was talking to someone about like, oh man, what do you do like a Breakfast Club bottle session where you know uh, kids from different groups are they're set all in up, detention, yeah, they're all in detention, and like what, yeah. you know the shenanigans that comes from that, and like I don't know, I mentioned how much I love eighties comedy, you know, teen comedy, so that was an inspiration to me that I hadn't thought of before either. Yeah, or we could just steal from Willow, like I do all the time. Oh, why not? <laughs> uh, Strixhaven is probably the one that I'm most excited about and probably the one that I've been most excited about since it was announced for a couple of reasons. Going back to something you said earlier when we started talking about the multiverse, for those at home that are maybe not familiar with Strixhaven as a setting, first of all, it is uh, from the Magic of the Gathering originally. Um, and Strixhaven was a multiverse university, like the most elite multiverse university. So it's already starting to open up that sort of multiverse vibes. Uh, that we were talking about a little bit earlier, which makes like you were talking about, Greg, taking pieces of it and, you know, homebrew and putting it into your homebrew or taking it into your game so much easier because it's sort of almost like codified in the setting. And it's it just I, I love the the colors of it. I love the uh, I personally like after I went back and started looking at like some of the stuff for like on the magic side of it, because they're believe it or not, folks, there is actually storyline that run through the magic sets. If you oh, yeah. know that there are. Um and like going back and learning through some of that story and everything like that, it, it made me really excited to see like, okay, I could see a coming of age, uh, young person story, the evolution of it while sort of like these big events are also going on in the background. And that was super exciting. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think you mentioned the multiverse and uh, Fizban's Treasury of Dragons mm -hmm. lead lead, lead uh, um, that was James Wyatt kind of had a lot more ideas about a multiverse in there too, which I found very exciting, like basically making dun dragons this uh multiverse spanning entity right like that you that that the most powerful dragons are ones that can perceive their multiverse and maybe have different versions of themselves through spread throughout right so you could have these these overarching villains that are these great worms that appear on the, you know the land where the forgotten realms is set that appear in strixhaven that appear in theros and have it be this you know cool meta plot of of what's happening with the multiverse and all of that being tied to dragons you know dungeons and dragons being the name of the game like having dragons be such an important part of what binds that multiverse together was really exciting and i loved how james was able to weave that into um all the stuff that's in treasury of dragons and it it makes me also excited to see some other things maybe pop up that haven't really been then like present um because again going back to not to just talk about like magic and and stuff like that 
that's been a theme that's been present in Magic the Gathering for a while. And you talked about that earlier in, in our interview here, where right. going to different planes like that, and it's always centered around like super powerful beings. But some of the most powerful of those beings happen to be dragons go figure um and there was a whole story cycle with like the war of the brothers and and not just like urza and and uh, mishra uh but like uh ugin and uh nicobolas like you, you have mm-hmm. all of that stuff going on and now there's the opportunity with like fizzbins and now this that we might be able to see things like some of my favorite characters like nismivet pop up and and actually have stat blocks and you know be able to be used in in storytelling plot points because it sort of fits directly into there like it it's really exciting for me because like the homebrew i've been running for years and years and years that these folks have played through a little bit of has been completely dedicated to what happens when all the multiverse, like all the scraps go to one place. And so like stuff like this is exciting because I can start pulling from it and start pulling from it and start. Pulling. So, yeah. I'm yeah, just looking exactly. forward to being able to kill the same dragon like five times. <laughs> no, I'm serious. That's completely serious. That's the like, things as, I loved a, about it as a wormling, as you know, as an adult, as an ancient, and right? they'll all know that you did it. Like, yeah. the, you know, they'll, they'll all know that you killed the baby version of them. So now they're mad. Because you know, that they now they didn't get to go and, and make that part of them, so now they're gonna they're gonna mess you up. Yeah, I, I and it, the fact that the, I think Cyan Bloodbane was used as an example, and I'm sitting there going, Cyan Bloodbane, oh man, my party's <laughs> gonna hate me if I ever use Cyan Bloodbane. So yeah, it, it's it is really an interesting concept and one I, I do want to see more of. Um, yeah, and I think especially that's with where like yeah, magic is. Bo- I mean, D and D is borrowing from magic, right? Where you mentioned the planeswalkers and how there are these beings, right, and having them them to mm-hmm. go from one and similar to that idea where IP needed to be separate. There was that idea uh, back in the day that like dark sun is very different than Greyhawk, And that's very different from forgotten realms and different from birthright and never the twain shall meet. Um, and we're breaking down those barriers or at least really understanding how they're related uh, by having the common language of, you know, elves, dwarves and orcs and, and door and dragons and how they all kind of fit together. And I can't wait for, for more stuff to come on that front. I also can't yes. wait to see uh, people's first exposure to cannibal gnomes. Uh, <laughs> halflings, cannibal halflings. Creepiest. Uh, cannibal halflings, yes. Well, cannibal elves, yeah. too. <laughs> people were eating people is what we're getting at. Dark Sun is a thing. It's 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 terrible in very, very many ways. Yeah, but that, that module, uh, Black Spine, uh, the one where they, they find out the relationship of the Geth to the other, the greater universe Geth, mm. the Geth Yankee and Githsarai, still one of my favorite things. That is cool. I don't, I don't. I haven't picked that one up, but I, it reminds me of playing uh, Baldur's Gate three, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. which has that excellent cinematic that is now basically canon for me of how Gith ride red dragons and are in conflict with the Illithids. Uh, it's so fucking cool. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. To no, no. We PG thirteen. We get what we get one per. We get one per episode. You're good. <laughs> I used it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's the other thing too. Like, and th- that's another product that we didn't even really get to touch on with Baldur's Gate three coming out now and being, uh, written in sort of like the codified rules of fifth edition. That's another Avenue that people are getting exposed to D and D content. And I know that some folks locally that have never had any interest in playing Dungeons and Dragons before, because they thought it was way too complicated, actually wound up picking up early access to Baldur's Gate three. And then I start getting messages of, Hey, how do I start running this? Or how do I start mm. playing this? Because it starts bridging that gap because it's like the the video game does a very good job also of presenting the rules in a way that can be digested at least so far um and i know that's larry and studios but the fact that they're working so closely at least from what it can i can at least from what i think uh making yeah, sure no, that they we, get the I, rules right it's fantastic they were uh 
over the moon to be able to collaborate with the Dungeons and Dragons team and tell this story together. I mean, you can see tendrils of Descent into Avernus's story mm -hmm. in 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 the opening uh, act that's available on Baldur's Gate three, and there's going to be even more, you know, uh, storytelling synergies i'll say i'll use a buzzword there um that is, is going to be super fun to see and i agree with you i think being able to show how D D like rules can work in uh, a video game like that is just going to be a home run for everybody i'll get you know D, &D players excited to play baldur's gate 3 when they can't run a session with their friends um and then it'll get uh you know the video gamers who loved D divinity original sin or even you know, uh, some of the more uh, mainstream uh, CRPGs out there um, to want to jump into tabletop role playing because it removes all of those barriers of like, oh, you can't go over that wall because, you know, we didn't we didn't make what's behind that wall. Well, you know, your imagination can make what's behind that wall. And that's what D&D &D is all about. I'm trying currently at since we're streaming this, I'm streaming uh, Baldur's Gate three in the background. Uh, <laughs> I'm making Joe as a dwarf. <laughs> of course you are. Nice. <laughs> It doesn't really look quite like Joe because it's way, way too not friendly. Dwarf face is not conveying Joe's joviality, but you know. Well, I appreciate we're, that. It's a work in progress. <laughs> but I think I think we should start wrapping it up. So I guess Liz, Matt, any last questions for Greg? Uh, I have one question that I don't know if you can answer or even really have any input on. But okay. in Tasha's, they they introduced uh, changes to the Ranger class that felt like the original Unearthed Arcana Ranger revamp that they tried back when you guys tried one in, I think, 2015. Yeah. Uh, the changes, like, to favorite, brought in favorite foe, uh, changed up how terrain works. Were those intended as, like, a soft reboot of the Ranger? Do you have any idea, like, what was going on with that? Or is it just a case of, let's give people options, and that's just happened to be what, what the Ranger got? And second one, is there any chance that the Drake Warden version of an Animal Companion could, rules could be applied to just Beast Mastery? Because, my God, the Drake Warden is good. So cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I will channel Jeremy Crawford and say, on, at least on the the B, follow your bliss, man. Like, if you want to run the Drake Warden with, you know, a bear instead, sure. I mean, all you need is your DM to kind of believe that way to do it. Um, it's you know, it's just a reskinning basically at that point. So why not? Um, and your other question, again, I, I kind of do have to defer more to the D&D team and how they manage that. But one thing I will say is we are, since the launch of D&D Next, um, and it's continuing to this day with all the Unearthed Arcana and the feedback that we get to it, we are extremely data-driven about what fans like and enjoy uh, about all of our classes uh, and, and mechanics. So um, there is this thing of a, of a, of a groupthink that can occur where, you know, you mentioned your, your, your particular beefs with a ranger and, you know, I've seen them, uh, similar, uh, discussions uh, around the web for a while, mm -hmm. but that is not always the case when we get that feedback. Oh, I'm say. sure it's not universal. I'm sure. Right? It's not. Yeah. And absolutely. so we have to kind of take all that data and aggregate and see, all right, well, you know, this is a loud group of people, but they're not really indicative of our entire audience. Um, and we see that throughout. And so, uh, they have been, uh, really devoted to using those surveys and those tools to uh, to see what works and what doesn't. Sometimes they can predict what the audience is going to like, and sometimes they don't. And so they take it really seriously. And I would just say, if you're continuing to see um, 
you know, uh, uh, I really like Tasha's complaints. versions. No, I like yeah. Tasha's version quite a lot, actually. I, that's why I asked about. It. I'd just, say just put put as much of that feedback as you can in those uh, unearthed arcana surveys, and that's that's the way to to kind of affect real change. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, going on in, in terms of loud versus like the whole group, we we write about World of Warcraft. I'm pretty sure we've, <laughs> we've seen that. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you guys are familiar with that concept. Yeah. A little bit, uh, but Liz. Well, I, I've just got to say, Matt doesn't know it yet, but the next campaign we're running, I'm a Drake Warden. I'm going to have a pet dragon because that's that's the ultimate yeah. fantasy of Dungeons and Dragons. It it's really going is. Around with a pet dragon that you can fly on. It's going to be great. I'll allow it if you play a gem dragonborn. Okay. Done. Good. <laughs> I wanted I wanted to get Gem Dragon created. more into the game anyway. Yeah, we uh Matt and I are planning on doing a, another campaign for the the uh Blizzard Watch crew uh where we're going to co DM and share a character that changes personality types. Ooh where that's super cool. where he's running, I take over the body. When I'm running, he takes over the body. So we were coming up with the some ideas for that. And I, I yep. It's it, we're creating a whole world from scratch with uh, with yeah, everything. We started off we started off doing a brother sister team in, in the Witchlight game, which mm, I think snowballed from there. Yeah, and we decided <laughs> let's let's just play the same guy. Like, <laughs> so yeah, that's neat. But, go uh, ahead, Liz. No, I mean I I think we've it. really covered we've covered the gamut of Dungeons Dragons. Well, well I, maybe just, I, I, do, wanna... I am waiting for the treasury of dungeons to come out where we find out that dungeons <laughs> dungeons also exist throughout the multiverse. And, and, you know, there's like, you can the have tomb like, of, great... tomb of annihilation spans all planes. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually that's in the thing about Aserac. That's in Fizzman's. They yeah. mention him. Yep. Mm-hmm. That Aserac is a figure who spans realities. Mm-hmm. So yeah, who knows? Maybe that we're going to have that. We're going to have that one dungeon that's in every reality at once. And it's the tomb of annihilation. Oh God, no! I already, <laughs> I already hate this idea. I am taking notes. I'll just say that. Yes. That, that reminds <laughs> nice, but- me. My, I have another D and D group, and I've never DM'd with them, but they've been asking. Like, we really, one of them really wants to play Tomb of Horrors, and they're mm. like, "Won't someone DM Tomb of Horrors?" And I'm like, "No." <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's my reaction. But, but no. no one no one has volunteered to DM the next game, so we're kind of all going back like it's a hot potato. Who's going to who's going to run who's our next game because we it. we all want to play, but who's who's going to who's going to do the DM job? Well, I'll run Tomb of Horrors for you. How about that? Ooh. <laughs> it's on the recording. It's canon, folks. No. <laughs> <laughs> I did that once for press. Uh, I think at a PAX East when uh the fifth edition version was coming out in Tales from the Yawning Portal. And oh, I don't think which, they, I don't oh, think I they got to past that book. It's such a good book. Very I don't think book. they got past the first uh, kind of area. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you probably didn't. They all died, which is super fun, right? Yeah, <laughs> I was I was reading the introduction to it in uh, Tales from the Yawning Portal, and I'm like, you know, it's talking about this Jimmy Lich building this, you know, elaborate dungeon. And all I all I could think about was like Willy Wonka. Oh, that's an interesting way to think about that. Willy Wonka is Arak? Arak sends out a golden ticket. Oh my God, this writes itself. (laughs) It popped into my head and then I kept reading and I'm kind of like, yeah, this this makes a lot of sense. That's so cool. Now I want to run him like he's, uh, uh, you know, a mysterious candy maker. You're all gonna die. There's no more to this song. Almost rhymed. Almost. almost. Yeah, almost. Because he's he's yeah, evil. He doesn't rhyme. Yeah, he's like, screw rhyming. Well, he also doesn't wash evil, his hands. Evil rhyming. 
<laughs> because they're gone. Uh, good times. All right, but I, th- I think that's going to take us right up to time. Greg, why don't you go ahead and tell folks where they can find you, uh, what they should be looking forward to. The, you know the, you know how to do the spiel. Sure, yeah. So I'm available on Twitter. I'm at Greg Tito there. Uh, on Instagram, it's Greg underscore Tito. You'll find out all about uh, D&D stuff that I talk about there. I'm all, I'm on a couple of podcasts. So I mentioned the Dragon Talk podcast uh, where me and Shelly Mazanoble talk through uh, all of the upcoming D&D releases as well as interviews with the community and sections and segments like Lore You Should Know and uh, Shelly's How to DM because she is also a very new DM that's learning uh, on the fly. Uh, I also have a Star Trek we re- The Next Generation rewatch podcast called Re-Engage. Uh, you can get that wherever you get podcasts, but we're on Twitter at Re-Engage TNG. Um, and we're getting at the end of the second season. So very excited to start, uh, when, uh, the series gets good, uh, with series, uh, season three. <laughs> well, Greg, thank you very, very much for joining us and talking all things nerdy and D D with us. We really, truly appreciate it. Uh, we know that time is always short for people, so much appreciate it. Uh, and well, thanks f- for having me on. Very excited. You guys are playing Dungeons and Dragons and all the questions were fantastic. And I hope I was able to, to guide you as well as I could. Uh, I think you did a fantastic job, and I will go ahead and extend. If you ever want to play one of our games, you have an open invitation. Sweet. I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) And for those who want to play more. Hey, I'm always happy to run for folks. Uh, and for those of you at home, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, and again, we do have an upcoming uh, another Witchlight game this uh, in a couple days, actually. Uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. Uh, that's right. It's Matt's. It's we're doing yes. the finale for, for Matt's game. Oh, that's Dude, right. You you finally reached the confrontation with the guy who stole your body and banished you to a volcano. So yeah, yeah, that's going to be interesting. Uh, but thank you very much, folks, for joining us. We'll catch you next time. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.